Every life is a story. Some are bestsellers. I'm Chuck. I'm Karen. And this is Spy Stories. We're glad that you're joining us today. If this is your first time listening, we're a couple of armchair historians who like to learn about and tell the stories of spies and have a little bit of fun in the process. Well, who are you going to tell me about today, Karen? Well, today we're going to learn about Revolutionary War not-so-great spy Nathan Hale. Nathan was born June 6, 1755, in Coventry, Connecticut. He was the sixth child of 12 children born to Richard and Elizabeth Hale. You know what that means, Chuck? I do not. They, they had a hail of a lot of children. Wow. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Every time you do that, we get two one-star ratings, so thank you for that. <laughs> I can't help myself. Well, Elizabeth died shortly after giving birth to her last child, which left Nathan motherless at the tender age of 12. Richard Hale, a fervent patriot, successful farmer, and church deacon, met and married a local well-to-do widow, Abigail Cobb Adams, two years after losing his wife. Not that Abigail Adams. A different Abigail Adams. Yeah, that would have been awkward during the Revolution, yes. (laughs) Records indicate that Nathan lived the normal life of a boy raised on a farm, well-versed in routine, chores, and freedom to explore the land and nature. At the Hale Homestead today, one can see the Bible that Nathan used as he grew up, and the markings in it point to a young man who was diligent and very serious about his faith. Nathan and his older brother, Enoch, were sent to a local tutor for preparatory studies to enter Yale. Their curriculum was very rigorous and not only included the usual subjects, but also had a focus on Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. In 1769, Nathan left for Yale. He was 14 years old. He and his brother lived in Connecticut Hall, which is still standing today. But today it has a statue of Nathan in front of it. Yes, it does. Nathan was a good student and was pretty athletic. In fact, he held the record for broad jump for quite some time. I always wonder why they don't call that long jump. Doesn't it sound more appropriate to say long jump? (laughs) I think it just depends on the type of person that you are. Okay. He was popular and well-regarded, but his proper, obedient boyhood gave way to usual teenage shenanigans. His school bills show charges for broken windows and other minor damages, and he was fined a couple of times as school punishment for rowdy behavior. Nathan's father, very concerned that his boys conduct themselves properly, wrote them many a letter reminding them to read their scripture and avoid the many vices surrounding them, especially card playing. Especially card playing. I have three boys Mm -hmm. in their 20s. If their worst (laughs) vice was card playing, I would be so happy. Well, I guess card playing was the gateway drug back then. I guess it was. 
that was wanted to avoid that. In his second year at Yale, Nathan was inducted into a secret literary and debate fraternity, which obviously wasn't that secret since we know about it, called Lenonia. He served as the organization's scribe, librarian, and eventual president. Actually, Lenonia and its rival fraternity, Brothers in Unity, ended up in a dispute over Phi Beta Kappa awards. And the two ended up evolving into the infamous Order of Skull and Bones. Oh. And you know, all of our presidents have been in the Skull and Bones. They're basically the literati. <laughs> Not all of our the presidents. The literati? Yeah. Or the Illuminati? <laughs> the literati, the Illuminati. <laughs> I used to play a game called Literati on Yahoo. I got confused. <laughs> That's okay. Well, and it was also known as the Order, Order 322, and I like this one the best, the Brotherhood of Death. <laughs> yeah. And as I read this, Karen, I think every mm-hmm. fraternity has a mascot, right? So mm-hmm. back in 1776, you go back to or whatever this is, you go back to ye old dog rescue, right? <laughs> and you're filling out the paperwork, and you have to put, yes, we want it for the Brotherhood of Death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, just calling yourself the, yeah, we're the Brotherhood of Death. Would you like to come to our party Friday night? Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds very honorable. Well, Nathan was a dramatist, and he participated in forensic debate. Forensic debate makes sense if you're part of the Brotherhood of Death. ha. <laughs> One debate he was known for was titled. <laughs> it just sounds like it should go with the Brotherhood of Death. <laughs> My hands are together too. Right. If you were to see it, person, that probably makes it. But okay. Now, the debate that Nathan was known for was titled. Get this: whether the education of daughters not without any reason be more neglected than that of sons. So that was that was the hot subject of the day. Hmm. It's said that Nathan actually argued in favor of the girls and won the debate. Hmm. So there's that. He was trying to win over Although, the girls is what he was trying to do. It, well, knowing Nathan Hale's history, yes, yeah. that probably is what his goal was. Although he did not graduate first in his class, he was among the top tier of the class of 1773. After graduation, Nathan took a teaching job in East Haddam, Connecticut. The kids adored him, and the community embraced him. They described the young man as handsome, sprightly, intelligent, and kind. What 18-year-old boy isn't sprightly? I mean, okay. I don't know. Seems like they should all be sprightly. But even though the town welcomed him enthusiastically, the 18-year-old boy was lonely for the type of friendship that young men tend to want. And the poetry that he wrote during that time indicates that he did indeed make such a friend. So the young man began to learn the art of romance and courtship. And he didn't have the benefit of my books on that, Karen. Right, because you're such an expert uh, romance in those and courtship. subjects. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure. After six months in the community, Hale became headmaster of the Latin School in New London. Although he was popular with students, 
Nathan did cause a bit of a stir because he used reward-based motivation programs, you know, instead of punishment-based mm-hmm. ones. And he allowed girls into the secondary school, ooh. which, ooh, yeah. Mwahaha. <laughs> In 1775, New London began to buzz with news from Lexington and Concord, and Nathan's patriotic heart was driven to serve. Nathan decided to give up his job in order to join the army. But that was not enough for Nathan Hale. He had to go further. He gave an impassioned speech in the town hall, and this motivated many townspeople to sign up. After joining, Hale ended up a lieutenant stationed out of New London. His company reached Roxbury, Massachusetts at the end of September 1775. His duty outside of Boston at the time was pretty uneventful, and Nathan's diary shows that he spent most of his time reading and studying military strategy and how to be an effective soldier. He also may have spent a lot of time reading because he was said to be very ill with influenza the majority of this time. When he wasn't sick, he spent time drilling troops and keeping up morale by organizing sporting events. By 1776, Hale had made captain. When Nathan and his men made it to New York City, Hale also began to make trips to Long Island for secret meetings. Later in the year, the British landed and the Battle of Long Island occurred. This battle was very important because the victory over the Americans gave the British control of the Port of New York. So strategically, that was incredibly important. Yes, yes it was. Although Captain Hale's regiment wasn't directly involved in the combat, they worked to ferry Americans back to New York after the discouraging defeat. Nathan Hale, eternal optimist and statesman, deeply wanted to inspire the forces and turn things around, and this desire led him to be one of four captains in a special regiment called Knowlton's Rangers, which was likely what his earlier secret meetings were all about. Yes, and the Rangers were under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Knowlton. He was a veteran of the French and Indian Wars, and he was a very well-respected leader at Bunker Hill. His unit, comprised of roughly 140 men, was developed for the sole purpose of intelligence and recon. The Rangers were actually considered to be the birth of military intelligence, and that is why the modern Army Intelligence SEAL is marked with 1776 as its birth date. By September 1776, General Washington needed a spy to cross into enemy lines on Long Island to find out Howe's troop movement and strategy, and Captain Nathan Hale heartedly volunteered for the job. Now, many of Hale's co-workers and friends discouraged him from taking the position because Nathan had an inherently honest character— But Nathan shrugged away their concerns. I think it's possible that Nathan decided to carry the burden on his broad shoulders because no one else wanted to volunteer for a job that many considered slimy and distasteful. Gathering intelligence from a distance was one thing, but acting as an actual spy was another. Spying was generally looked down upon. It was considered dishonorable and performed by treasonous scum and the scourge of the battlefield. But if no one else would take the job, then Nathan would. 
we don't really know if he actually wanted the job or if by volunteering, he was actually trying to motivate someone else to volunteer. But what we do know is that Nathan's willingness to commit espionage sealed his very tragic fate. There were many reasons allowing Nathan Hale to be a spy was a bad idea. First of all, Nathan Hale. I, yeah, you like I that? I see what you Get did it? there. Thank you. Yeah. You snuck mm-hmm. that one in on me. Mm-hmm. He hailed from Connecticut. Now, many Connecticut loyalists left the rebel government or chose to work for the British. Second, Nathan's cousin, Samuel Hale, was a loyalist and a soldier with Howe's forces in New York. Third, Nathan stood out because of his height and facial gunpowder burn scars. And lastly, most importantly... Nathan knew nothing about spying. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But like our old friend. John Andre. Not him. No. No, um, Juan. How hard could it be? How? You see, you had to mix it up on me. I figured you would talk about John Andre because he was also a lot like Nathan Hale. You're right. Yeah, they're kind of mirror images a little bit. They really are. Well, despite all of these things, Nathan Hale embarked for Long Island, which was now a British base. And he did this as a spy. Hale traveled to the island aboard the sloop Schuller with an accompanying patriot, Stephen Hempstead. The plan was for Nathan to land at Lloyd's Neck and begin traveling afoot as a Dutchman trying to obtain a teaching position. Now, the plan wasn't really a bad one. In fact, it was pretty logical because two-thirds of the island was Dutch. But Nathan strayed mightily from the plan when he decided to inexplicably carry with him his own Yale diploma. Which, of course, bore his real name. Which, it's like Andre's, it's, okay, there's five things. Please don't do this. One, <laughs> carry your real don't. identification on you. Right, right, right. That's kind of the cardinal rule. Well, upon arriving, Nathan befriended and dined with a local farmer. The following morning, he tucked what little information he could gather inside his shoe, which was another thing you weren't really supposed to do, have proof that you were spying. And he continued on his mission. That evening, Hale sought respite and intel in a local tavern. Now, in this tavern, Nathan Hale met Robert Rogers. Now, some accounts say that Nathan Hale's cousin, Samuel Hale, recognized him at the tavern and turned him in, but most historians now agree with Consider Tiffany's A History of the American Revolution that the perpetrator was likely this American, Robert Rogers. Rogers is an interesting guy. He was an Indian fighter who was the commander of Rogers Rangers. Hale and Rogers were both in Boston during the siege of Boston. Rogers tried to meet with Washington, but Washington was very skeptical of Rogers because he didn't really trust mercenaries. And he had General John Sullivan meet with him instead. Now, Sullivan met with Rogers twice, but ultimately counseled Washington to avoid him, and Washington took this advice. 
And this really enraged Rogers. Mm-hmm. And he was he was driven by money, but now he's mad. So he goes to General Howe and starts working for the British. And Rogers had had a long association with the British Army. Through He fought in the French-Indian Wars and things like that. And he was not really respected by the British regulars, but his rangers would fight in terrain and conditions that the regulars would not. He was so effective that during World War II, the U.S. Army studied his tactics. They even took the name Rangers, and these units consider Rogers their founding father, and they distribute copies of Rogers Rangers Standing Orders. And it's like a 28-point kind of ye old PowerPoint that they gave to all of his Rangers. <laughs> and it's, it's got tactics in it that the Rangers took, took up. Mm-hmm. And it's given to all aspiring Ranger students. Trying to get through that was a tongue twister, wasn't it? Rogers, yes, Rangers. Yes, it was. Not Rangers. easy. Thank you for writing that in such an easy way. <laughs> You're welcome. Rogers was on the lookout for spies. And he was as brutal and manipulative as Nathan was gentle and hapless. He noticed that Hale seemed a bit off, so he decided to play a ruse on the young man to see if his instincts regarding him were correct. Rogers pretended to befriend Nathan, eventually visiting him in his quarters that evening with the secret news that he was actually a patriot himself who was stuck among British sympathizers on the island and that he wanted to spy on British troops. Hale, believing him and getting very excited, planned to meet with Rogers the next day to discuss their plans in more detail. Hale is like, sweet, I don't have to do this by myself. The next afternoon, Rogers met with the unsuspecting Captain Hale, this time bringing along three men whom he said were in the same boat as they were, patriots behind enemy lines. But in truth, Rogers was just enveloping Hale into his trap. As the men discussed their next moves, Rogers had a company of soldiers gather around Hale's room and eventually they seized him. Nathan tried to deny his identity, but the papers that he carried with him made things all too clear, and he was recognized by relatives with English loyalty. This is probably where Samuel Hale came in, and those relatives confirmed Nathan Hale's identity. And ironically, during Nathan's capture, the Americans were actually gaining ground. They were moving up the east side of Manhattan, and much of New York City was on fire. Another American victory was had during the Battle of Harlem Heights, where sadly Nathan's commander, who he looked up to quite a bit, Thomas Knowlton, was killed in battle. But Nathan knew none of this. No. All he knew was upon capture, he knew what his fate would be. He would not be afforded any protections, and he would not receive a trial. After he was shipped to General Howe, Nathan beseeched the general and the provost for a minister and a Bible, but his requests were cruelly denied. Howe's chief engineer, Captain John Montrestor, felt compassion for the young man, and he snuck him some paper and a pen with which Hale used to write two letters— one to his brother Enoch and the other to his commander. 
The provost, a very cruel and violent man, discovered the letters and had them destroyed before they could be delivered. Nathan's tragic death took place today, September 22nd, 1776, at around 11 o'clock a.m. The exact location is not agreed upon, but a present memorial plaque places the New York City corner of 3rd Avenue and 66th as the place of execution. Montressor said that Nathan Hale stepped up the ladder to his fate with great dignity. Although Hale's famous quotation, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country, is probably a dramatized version of his actual declaration, there is no doubt that the young man spoke with poise and passion. In an attempt to shame the Americans, the British left the young patriot hanging for three days in horrible heat. When they finally cut him down, they buried him, unclothed, in a shallow, unmarked grave. Soon after his death, rumors about Hale circulated through the American camps, but no letters or documents survived telling the time. However, Nathan's grief-stricken family had a memorial in the Coventry Cemetery put up with the inscription, He resigned his life, a sacrifice to his country's liberty. It really wasn't until the 19th century that the legacy of Nathan Hale really began to gain momentum. Statues and memorials to the young patriot began appearing around the country, including in front of the CIA, inside the state capitol in Hartford, Connecticut, and most recently in Hale's hometown of Coventry. Nathan Hale was a studious son, a brother, a brilliant student, a thinker, a philosopher, a romantic, a motivational speaker, a soldier, a leader, a captain, and unfortunately, he tried to be a spy. We want to thank everyone who takes the time to listen to the show and to all of those who support it. We would like to especially thank our friends at HD and our friends at the Podcast Junkies Discord server. If you would like to support us, there are many ways to do so. You can share the show on social media, follow us on Twitter at Spy Stories Pod. You can join our Facebook group, Spy Stories Podcast Group. You can leave us a positive review on iTunes or whatever platform you use. And you can also become a Patreon supporter. You can find us on Patreon at Spy Stories. We want to send a special thank you to our patrons, Ruck, Sarah, John C., and Jessica M., and Kara, who is always very supportive of us. So thank you all. Yes. The life of Nathan Hale reminds us that true leadership sometimes means bearing the burden that no one wants to carry. His life cautions us of what not to do, which has saved the lives of countless intelligence agents after him. And more than anything, his life is testament to what service over self really means. Nathan Hale shows us that like Harriet the Spy says, life is a struggle, but a good spy or even a bad spy with a good heart gets in there and fights. And until next week, keep fighting. 
Thank you.